From coast to coast and worldwide on the internet via satellite, this is Luke 418 Radio Network. To Luke 418 Radio Talk Show, the leading cutting edge of Christian radio. Exposing the works of darkness and declaring a life of righteousness. Your host, Pastor Bill and Valerie French. Welcome, listeners all around the world, to Luke 418 Radio. This is your host, Pastor Valerie French. On the front lines, I am in the trenches against the enemy fighting for your souls. The warfare is intense, but we have the victory in Christ Jesus. God bless everyone. Thank you for joining me. Today will be a special presentation of a beautiful book which I am going to be reciting called My Dream of Heaven by Rebecca Springer. I would like to begin with a prayer. Father God, I ask, Lord, that you would be with us today. I thank you that you are here, and your Holy Spirit is here, and the anointing is here today. I pray that as the listeners hear this beautiful story, this beautiful book that has been written about heaven, and I believe it is an accurate story in many ways, although it is of Old English, and many of the words have been unfamiliar to us, even so, I believe in reading this story to our listeners that they will hear the words of this book and they will be refreshed and understand that they have this waiting for them in heaven in eternity and anything that this book would ensue for them in any happy way that they will understand that their life here on earth is very important and it has lasting consequences. So I will begin the book in Jesus' name. Amen. My Dream of Heaven Chapter 1 I was many hundred miles away from home and my friends had been very ill for many weeks. I was entirely among strangers and my only attendant, though of a kindly disposition, knew nothing whatsoever of the duties of the sick room. Hence I had none of the many delicate attentions that kept up an invalid's failing strength. I had taken no nourishment of any kind for nearly three weeks, scarcely even water, and was greatly reduced in both flesh and strength, and consciousness seemed at times to wholly desert me. I had an unutterable longing for the presence of my dear distant ones, for the gentle touch of beloved hands and whispered words of love and courage. But they never came. They could not. Responsible duties that I felt must not be neglected. Keep these dear ones much of the time in distant scenes, and I would not recall them. I lay in a large comfortable room on the second floor of the house in Kentville. The bed stood in a recess at one end of the apartment, and from this recess a large stained-glass window opened up a veranda fronting on the street. 
During much of my illness, I lay with my face to this window and my back to the room. I remember thinking how easily it would be to pass through the window to the veranda if one so desired. When the longing for the love, distant faces and voices became more than I could bear, I prayed that the dear Lord Christ would help me to realize His blessed presence and that since the beloved ones of earth could not minister to me, I might feel the influence of the other dear ones, who are all ministering spirits. Especially did I ask to be sustained should I indeed be called to pass through the dark waters alone. It was no idle prayer, and the response came swiftly, speedily. All anxieties and cares slipped away from me as a worn-out garment, and peace, Christ's peace, enfolded me. I was willing to wait God's time for the coming of those so dear to me and said to myself more than once, If not here, it will be there. There is no fear of disappointment there. In those wonderful days of agonizing suffering and great peace, I felt that I had truly found as never before the refuge of the everlasting arms. They lifted me, they upbore me, they enfolded me, and I rested in them as a tired child upon its mother's bosom. One morning, dark and cold and stormy, after a day and night of intense suffering, I seemed to be standing on the floor by my bed in front of the stained-glassed window. Someone was standing by me, and when I looked up, I saw it was my husband's favorite brother who crossed the flood many years ago. My dear brother Frank, I cried out joyously, How good of you to come! It was a great joy to me that I could do so, little sister, he said gently. Shall we go now? And he drew me toward the window. I turned my head and looked back into the room that somehow I felt I was about to leave forever. It was in its usual good order, a cheery, pretty room. The attendant sat by the stove at the further end, comfortably reading a newspaper, and on the bed torn toward the window lay a white, still form with a shadow of a smile on the poor worn face. My brother drew me gently, and I yielded passing with him through the window, out on the veranda, and from thence in some unaccountable way down to the street. There I paused and said earnestly, I cannot leave, Will and our dear boy. They are not here, dear, but hundreds of miles away, he answered. Yes, I know, but they will be here. Oh, Frank, they will need me. Let me stay, I pleaded. Would it not be better if I brought you back a little later, after they come? He said with a kind smile. Would you surely do so, I asked. Most certainly, if you desire it. You are worn out with a long suffering, and a little rest will give you new strength. I felt that he was right, said so in a few words, and we started slowly up the street. He had drawn my hand within his arm, and endeavored to interest me as we walked. But my heart clung to the dear ones whom I felt I was not to see again on earth, and several times I stopped and looked wistfully back the way we had come. 
He was very patient and gentle with me, waiting always till I was ready to proceed again. But at last my hesitation became so great that he said pleasantly, You are so weak, I think I had better carry you. And without waiting for a reply, he stooped and lifted me up in his arms, as though I had been a little child. And like a child I yielded, resting my head upon his shoulder and laying my arm about his neck. I felt so safe, so content to be thus in his care. It seemed so sweet after the long, lonely struggle to have someone assume the responsibility of caring thus tenderly for me. He walked with firm, swift steps, and I think I must have slept, for next I knew I was sitting in a sheltered nook made by flowering shrubs upon the softest and most beautiful turf of grass, thickly studded with fragrant flowers, many of them flowers I had known and loved on earth. I remember noticing heliotrope, violets, lilies of the valley, and megonetti. With many others, I like nature wholly unfamiliar to me. But even in the first moment I observed how perfect in its ways was every plant and flower. For instance, heliotrope, which with us often runs into long ragged sprays and grew up short smooth stems, and each leaf was perfect and smooth and glossy instead of being rough and coarse looking. And the flowers peeped up from the deep grass so like velvet, with sweet happy faces as though inviting the admiration one could not withhold. And what a scene was that on which I looked as I rested upon this soft, fragrant cushion, secluded and yet not hidden, away, away far beyond the limit of my vision, I well knew stretched this wonderful sword of perfect grass and flowers, and out of it grew equally wonderful trees, whose drooping branches were laden with exquisite blossoms and fruits of many kinds. I found myself thinking of St. John's vision in the Isle of Patmos, the tree of life that grew in the midst of the garden, bearing twelve manner of fruits, and whose leaves were for the healing of the nations. Beneath the trees, in many happy groups, were little children laughing and playing, running hither and thither in their joy, and catching in their tiny hands the bright-winged birds that flittered in and out among them, as though sharing in their sports, as they doubtless were. And through the grounds, older people were walking, sometimes in groups, sometimes in twos, sometimes alone, but all with the air of peacefulness and happiness that made itself felt by even me, a stranger. All were in spotless white, though many wore about them or carried in their hands clusters of beautiful flowers. As I looked upon their happy faces and their spotless robes, again I thought, these are they who have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Look where I would, I saw half-hidden by trees elegant and beautiful houses, strangely attractive architecture that I feel must be the homes of these happy inhabitants of this place. I caught glimpse of sparkling fountains in many directions, and close to my retreat flowed a river with placid breast of water clear as crystal. 
The waters that ran in many directions through the grounds appeared to me to be, as I afterward found, were of pearl, spotless and pure, bordered on either side by narrow streams of pellucid water running over stones of gold. The one thought that fastened itself upon me as I looked, breathless and speechless, upon this scene was purity, purity. No shadow of dust, no taint of decay, on fruit or flower, everything perfect, everything pure. The grass and flowers looked as though fresh washed by summer showers, and not a single blade was any color but the brightest green. The air was soft and balmy, though invigorating, and instead of sunlight there was a golden and rosy glory everywhere, something like the afterglow of a southern sunset in midsummer. As I drew in my breath with a short, quick gasp of delight, I heard my brother who was standing beside me and softly, well, and looking up I discovered that he was watching me with keen enjoyment. I had in my great surprise and delight wholly forgotten his presence, recalled to myself by his question, Oh, Frank, that I, when such overpowering sense of God's goodness and my own unworthiness swept over me, that I dropped my face in my hands and burst in uncontrollable and very happy weeping. Ah, said my brother in a tone of self-reproach, I am inconsiderate. And lifting me gently to my feet, he said, Come, I want to show you the river. When we reached the brink of the river but a few steps distant, I found that the lovely sword ran even to the water's edge, and in some places I saw the flowers blooming placidly down in the depths among the many-colored pebbles with which the entire bed of the river was lined. I want you to see these beautiful stones, said my brother, stepping into the water and urging me to do the same. I drew back timidly. I feared it's cold. Not in the least, he said, with a reassuring smile. Come. Just as I am, I said, glancing down at my lovely robe, which to my great joy I found was similar to those of the dwellers in this happy place just as you are, with another reassuring smile. Thus encouraged, I too stepped into the gently flowing river, and to my great surprise found the water in both temperature and density almost identical with the air. Deeper and deeper grew the stream as we passed on until I felt the soft, sweet ripples playing about my throat. As I stopped, my brother said, a little farther still, it will go over my head, I expostulated. Well, what then? I cannot breathe under water. I will suffocate. An amused twinkle came into his eyes, though he said soberly, Enough. We do not do those things here. I realized the absurdity of my position, and with a happy laugh said, All right, come on, and plunged headlong into the bright water which soon bubbled and rippled several feet above my head. To my surprise and delight, I found I could not only breathe, but laugh and talk and hear, as naturally underwater as above it. I sat down in the midst of the many-colored pebbles, and filled my hands with them, as a child would have done. My brother lay down upon them, 
as he would have done on the green sword, and laughed and talked joyously with me. Do this, he said, rubbing his hands over his face and running his fingers through his dark hair. I did as he told me, and the sensation was delightful. I threw back my loose sleeves and rubbed my arms, then my throat, and again thrust my fingers through my long, loose hair. Thinking at the time what a tangle it would be when we left the water. Then the thought came as we were last arose to return. What are we to do for towels? For the earth thoughts still clung to me, and I wondered too if the lovely robe was not entirely spoiled. But behold, as we neared the shore and my head once more emerged from the water, the moment the air struck my face and hair, I realized that I would need no towel nor brush. My flesh, my hair, and even my beautiful garments were soft and dry as before the water touched them. The material out of which my robe was fashioned was unlike anything I had ever seen. It was soft and light and shone with a faint luster, reminding me more of silk crepe than anything I could recall, only infinitely more beautiful. It felt about me in soft, grateful folds which the water seemed to have rendered even more lustrous than before. What marvelous water! What a wonderful air! I said to my brother as we again stepped upon the flowery sword. All the rivers are like this one? Not just the same, but similar, he replied. We walked on a few steps, and then I turned and looked back at the shining river flowing on tranquilly. Frank, what has the water done for me? I said. I feel as though I could fly. He looked at me with earnest, tender eyes, and he answered gently, It has washed away the last of the earth life, and fitted you for the new life upon which you have entered. It is divine, I whispered. Yes, it is divine, he said. Chapter 2 We walked on some distance in silence my heart wrestling with the thoughts of the new strange life, my eyes drinking in fresh beauty at every step. The houses were as we approached, and past them seemed wonderfully beautiful to me. They were built of the finest marbles, encircled by broad verandas, the roofs or domes supported by massive or delicate pillars or columns, and winding steps led down to the pearl and golden walks. The style of the architecture was unlike anything I had ever seen, and the flowers and vines that grew luxuriously everywhere surpassed in beauty even those of my brightest dreams. Happy faces looked out from these columned walls, and happy voices rang upon the clear air from many a celestial home. Frank, where are we going? at length I asked. Home, little sister, he answered tenderly. Home? Have we a home, my brother? Is it anything like these? I asked with a wild desire in my heart to cry out for joy. Come and see, was the only answer as he turned into a side path leading toward an exquisitely beautiful house whose columns of very light gray marble shone through the green of the overhanging trees with most inviting beauty. Before I could join him, I heard a well-remembered voice saying close beside me, I just had to be the first to bid you welcome. And looking around, I saw the dearly beloved face of my old-time friend, Mrs. Wickman. 
Oh, oh, I cried as we met with a warm embrace. You will forgive me, Colonel Sprague, she said a moment later, giving her hand cordially to my brother. It seemed unpardonable to intercept you thus. In almost the first hour, but I heard that she was coming, and I could not wait. But now that I have looked upon her face and heard her dear voice, I will be patient till I can have her for a long, long talk. You must come in and see her now, said my brother cordially. Do come, I urged. No, dear friends, not now. You know, dear little Blossom, the old pet name for me years ago. We have all eternity before us. But you will bring her to me soon, Colonel Sprague, she said. Just as soon as I may, dear madam, he replied with an expressive look in her eyes. Yes, I understand, she said softly with a sympathetic glance at me. Then with a warm hand clasp and the parting injunction, come very soon, she passed swiftly out of my sight. Blessed woman, I said. What a joy to meet her again. Her home is not far away. You can often see her. She is indeed a lovely woman. Now come, little sister, I long to give you welcome in our home. Saying which he took my hand and led me up the low steps on the broad veranda, with its beautiful inlaid floor of rare and costly marbles, and its massive columns of gray between which vines covered with Rich, glossy leaves of green were intermingled with flowers of exquisite color and delicate perfume, hanging in heavy festoons. We paused a moment here, that I might see the charming view presented on every side. It's heavenly, I said. It is heavenly, he answered. It could not be otherwise. I smiled my acknowledgment of this truth. My heart was too full of for words. The entire house, both below and above, is surrounded by these broad verandas. But come within. He led me through a doorway between the marble columns into a large reception hall whose inlaid floors, mullioned window, and broad low stairway at the far end at once held my fancy. Before I could speak, my brother turned to me, and taking both my hands, said, Welcome, a thousand welcomes, dearest sister, to your heavenly home. Is this beautiful place indeed to be my home? I asked as well as my emotion would allow. Yes, dear, he replied. I built it for you and my brother, and I assure you it has been a labor of love. Is it your home? And I am to stay with you, I said, a little confused. No, it is your home, and I am to stay with you till my brother comes. Always, dear brother, always. I cried, clinging to his arm. He smiled and said, We will enjoy the present. We will never be far apart again. But come, I am eager to show you all. Turning to the left, he led me still through the beautiful marble columns that everywhere seemed substituted for doorways into a large oblong room upon whose threshold I stopped in wondering delight. The entire walls and floor of the room were still of that exquisite light gray marble, polished to the greatest luster, but over walls and floors were strewn exquisite long-stemmed roses of every variety and color from the deepest crimson to the most delicate shades of pink and yellow.
"'Come inside,' said my brother. "'I do not wish to crush those perfect flowers.' I answered, "'Well, then, suppose we gather some of them.' I stooped to take one from the floor close to my feet, when, lo, I found it was embedded in the marble. I tried another with the same astonishing result. Then turning to my brother, I said, "'What does this mean? You surely do not tell me that none of these are natural flowers.' He nodded his head with a pleasant smile, then he said, "'This room has a history.' Come in and sit with me here upon the window seat, where you can see the whole room, and let me tell you about it. I did as he desired, and he continued. One day, as I was busily working upon the house, a company of young people, boys and girls, came to the door and asked if they might enter. I gladly gave assent. And then one of them said, Is the house really for Mr. and Mrs. Sprague? It is, I answered. We used to know and love them. They are our friends, and the friends of our parents, and we want to know if we may not do something to help you make it beautiful. Indeed you may, I said, touched by the request. What can you do? We were here at the time and looked about. One of them asked, May we beautify this room? Undoubtedly, I said, wondering what they would try to do. At once the girls, of all whom had immense bunches of roses in their hands, began to throw the flowers broadcast over the floor and against the walls. Wherever they struck the walls, they, too even to my surprise, remained as though it was some way permanently attached. When the roses had all been scattered, the room looked just as it does now, only the flowers were really fresh-gathered roses. Then the boys each produced a small case of delicate tools, and in a moment all boys and girls were down upon the marble floor and busy at work. How they did it I do not know. It is one of the celestial arts taught to those of highly artistic tastes, but they embedded each of the living flower just where it is as it has fallen, in the marble, and preserved it as you see it before you. They came several times before the work was completed, for the flowers do not wither here nor fade, but were always fresh and perfect. And such a merry, happy company of young people I never saw before. They laughed and chatted and sang as they worked, and I could not help wishing more that once their friends whom they had left mourning for them might look in upon this happy group and see how little cause they had for sorrow. At last, when all was complete, they called me to see their work. And I was not chary of my praises either for the beauty of the work for their skill in performing it. Then saying they would be sure to return when either of you came, they went away together to do something of this kind elsewhere. I doubt not. Happy tears had been dropping upon my hands, clasped idly in my lap, during much of this narrative, and now I asked half-brokenly, for I was greatly touched, Who were these lovely people, Frank? Do you know them? Of course. I know them now, but they were all strangers to me till I came here, the first morning, except Lulu Sprague. Who are they? They were three Marys, Mary Green, Mary Bates, Mary Chamblers, Lulu Sprague, and May Camden. These were the girls, each lovely and beautiful. The boys, all manly, fine fellows, were Carol Ashland, 
Stanley and David Chambler's. Precious children, I said, how little I thought my love for them in the olden days would ever bring me to this added happiness here. How little we know of the links binding these two worlds. Ah, oh, yes, said my brother, that is just it, how little we know. If only we could realize we were, while we were yet mortals that day by day we are building for eternity, how different our lives in many ways would be. Every gentle word, every generous thought, every unselfish deed will become a pillar of eternity, beauty in the life to come. We cannot be selfish and unloving in one life and generous and loving in the next. The two lives are too closely blended, one but a continuation of the other. But come now to the library. Rising, we covered the room that henceforth was to hold for me such tender associations and entering the library. It was a glorious apartment, the walls lined from ceiling to floor with rare and costly books. A large stained glass window opened upon the front veranda, and two large bow windows not far apart were in the back of the room. A semicircular row of shelves supported by very delicate pillars of gray marble about six feet high extended some fifteen feet into the spacious main room and cut it into two sections lengthwise, each with one of the bowed windows in the back, leaving still a large space beyond the dividing line where the two sections united again into one. The concave side of the semicircle of shelves was toward the entrance of the room, and close to it, not far removed from the bowed window, stood a beautiful writing desk with everything ready for use, and upon it was a chaste golden bowl filled with scarlet carnations, of whose spicy odor I had been dimly conscious for some time. My brother's desk, said Frank, and his favorite flowers, I added. Yes, that follows. Here we never forget the tastes and preferences of those we love. It is not to be supposed that these details were at once noticed by me, but they unfolded to me gradually as we lingered, talking together. My first sensation upon entering the room was genuine surprise at the sight of the books, and my first words were, Why, have we books in heaven? Why not? asked my brother. What strange ideas we mortals have of the pleasures and duties of this blessed life. We seem to think that death of the body means an entire change to the soul, but that is not the case. By any means, we bring to this life the same tastes, the same desires, the same knowledge as we had before death. If these were not sufficiently pure and good to form a part of this life, then we ourselves may not enter. What would we be of use of our oftentimes long lives given to the pursuit of certain worthy and legitimate knowledge if at death it all counts for nothing and we begin this life on a wholly different line of thought and study? No, no, would that all could understand, as I said before, that we are building for eternity during our earthly life. The purer the thoughts, the nobler the ambitions, the loftier the aspirations, the higher the rank we take among the hosts of heaven. The more earnestly we follow the studies and duties of our life of probation, the better fitted we shall be to carry them forward, on and on to completion and perfection here. 
But the books, who writes them? Are any of them books we knew and loved before all? Undoubtedly, many of them, all indeed, that in any way helped to elevate the human mind or immortal soul. Then many of the rarest minds of the earth life upon entering this higher life gained such elevated and extended views of the subjects that they have been with them lifelong studies that pursuing them with zest they write out for the benefit of those less gifted. The higher, stronger views they have themselves acquired, thus remaining leaders and teachers in this rare life. As they were while yet in the world, it is to be expected that the great soul who has recently joined our ranks, whose changed life and Pax Vodism uplifted so many lives while on earth, should lay his pen aside when his clear brain and great heart have read the mystery of the higher knowledge. Not so, when he has coined his lessons well. He will write them out for the benefit of others, less gifted, who must follow. Leaders there must always be in this divine life as in the former life, leaders and teachers in many varied lines of thought. But all this knowledge will come to you simply and naturally as you grow into this new life. Chapter 3 After a short rest in this lovely room among the books, my brother took me through all the remaining rooms of the house, each perfect and beautiful in its way, and each distinctly and imperishably photographed upon my memory. Of only one other will I speak of this time. As he drew aside the gauzy gray draperies lined with the most de delicate shade of amber, which hung before the columned doorway of a lovely room on the second floor of the house, he said, Your own special place for rest and study. The entire second story of the house indoors, instead of being finished in gray marble as the first floor, was finished with inlaid woods of fine statiny texture and rare polish. The room was now entered and exquisite both in design and finish. It was oblong in shape, with a large bowed window at one end, similar to those in the library, and a portion of which was directly beneath this room. Within this room, on one side, stood a writing desk of solid ivory, with silver appointments, and opposite was a case of well-filled bookshelves of the same material. Among the books I found afterward many of my favorite authors. Rich rugs, silvery-gray in color, lay scattered over the floor, and all the hangings in the room were the same delicate hue and texture of those at the entrance. The framework of the furniture was ivory. The upholstering of chairs and ottomans of silvery-gray cloth with the finish of the finest satin, and the pillows and covering of the dainty couch were of the same. A large bowl of wrought silver stood upon the table near the front window, filled with pink and yellow roses whose fragrance filled the air, and several rarely graceful vases were also filled with roses. The entire apartment was beautiful beyond description, but I had seen it many times before. I was fully able to comprehend its perfect completeness. Only one picture hung upon the walls, and that was a life-size portrait of the Christ, just opposite the couch. It was not an artist's conception of the human Christ. 
bowed under the weight of the sins of the world, nor yet the thorn-crowned head of the crucified Savior of mankind. But the likeness of the living Master, of Christ, and victorious, of Christ-crowned, the wonderful eyes looking directly and tenderly into your own, and the lips seem to pronounce the benediction of peace. The ineffable beauty of the divine face seemed to illuminate the room with a holy light. And I fell upon my knees and pressed my lips to the sandaled feet so truthfully portrayed upon the canvas, while my heart cried, Master, Beloved Master and Savior. It was long before I could fix my attention on anything else. My whole being was full of adoration and thanksgiving for the great love that He had guided me into this heaven of rest, this wonderful home of peace and joy. After some time I spent in this delightful place, we passed through the open window on the marble terrace. A stairway of artistically finished marble wound gracefully down from the terrace to the lawn beneath the trees. No pathway of any kind approached at its foot, only the flowery turf. The fruit-laden branches of the trees hung within easy breach of the terrace, and I noticed as I stood there that morning seven varieties, one kind re resembled our fine Bartlett pear, only much larger and indefinitely more delicious to the taste, as I soon found. Another variety was in clusters, the fruit also of a pear-shaped but smaller than the former, and of the consistency and flavor similar to the finest frozen cream. A third, something like a banana in shape, they called breadfruit. It was not unlike our dainty finger rolls to the taste. It seemed to me at the time, and really proved to me to be so, that in variety and excellence food for the most elegant repast was here provided without labor or care. My brother gathered some of the different varieties and bade me to try them. I did so with much relish and refreshment. Once the rich juice from the pearl-like fruit, whose distinctive name I had forgotten, if indeed I ever knew it, ran out profusely over my hands and in the front of my dress. Oh, I cried, I have ruined my dress, I fear. My brother laughed gentilly, and he said, Show me the stains. To my amazement, not a spot could I find. Look at your hands, he said. I found them clean and fresh as though just from the bath. What does that mean? My hands were covered with this thick juice from the fruit. Simply, he answered, that no impurity can remain for an instant in the air. Nothing decays, nothing tarnishes, or in any way disfigures or mars the universal purity or beauty of the, this place. As fast as the fruit ripens and falls, all that is not immediately gathered at once evaporates, not even the seed remaining. I had noticed that no fruit lay beneath the trees. This, then, was the reason for it. And there shall be in no wise enter into anything that defileth, I quoted thoughtfully. Yes, even so, he answered, even so. We descended the steps and again entered the flower room. As I stood once more admiring the inlaid roses, my brother asked, Whom of all the friends you have in heaven do you most wish to see? 
"'My father and mother,' I answered quickly. He smiled so significantly that I hastily turned, and there, advancing up the long room to meet me, I saw my dear father and mother, and with them my youngest sister. With a cry of joy I flew into my father's outstretched arms and heard with a thrill of joy his dear familiar, my precious little daughter. At last, at last, I cried, clinging to him. At last I have you again. At last, he echoed with a deep-drawn breath of joy. Then he resigned me to the dear, my dear mother, and we were soon clasped in each other's embrace. My precious mother, my dear child, we cried simultaneously, and my sister enfolded us both in her arms, exclaimed with a happy laugh, I cannot wait. I will be left outside. I disengaged one arm, I threw it about her, and drew her into the happy circle of our united love. Oh, what an hour that was! I did not dream that even heaven could hold such joy. After a time my brother, who had shared our joy, said, Now I can safely leave you for a few hours to this blessed reunion, for I have other work before me. Yes, said father, you must go. We will with joy take charge of our dear child. Then for a brief while good-bye, said my brother kindly. Do not forget that rest especially to the one but recently entered upon this new life is not only one of the pleasures, but one of the duties here in heaven. Yes, we will see that she does not forget that, said my father, with a kindly smile and glance. This is the end of chapter 3. We will begin chapter 4 in the next episode. Thank you for joining our episode today of My Dream of Heaven. I'm so glad that you came to listen to this beautiful story, and I pray that it meant a lot to you as it meant a lot to me. God bless you, and have a wonderful week.